get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the weekend, TGIF. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. And uh, I-, I want Michelle to go out for a jog this weekend. You know what, Randy? <laughs> Am I being a jerk? Unnecessary. <laughs> Unnecessary. <laughs> for those that don't know, which is everyone Everybody. listening, except for Randy, <laughs> I think I may have broken my toe. I'm dealing with a pretty painful toe injury. Um, it was completely self-inflicted. I accidentally dropped my laptop directly on my toe. Corner of the laptop directly on my big left toe. Um, I mean, without getting too graphic, there there, <laughs> there was blood. There was a lot of blood. There was It was the situation we've been dealing with, and now it's in a, I'm in a lot of pain. And I don't really know how to determine if it's broken other than to go and get an x-ray. I think that's what you have to do. Um, but yeah, you know, for all the people out there who have dealt with toe injuries, I feel you. This is awful. I guess this would be a normal orthopedic doctor. You don't have to go to like a podiatrist, right? That's a foot doctor to get your I think so. foot taken care of. I've never seen a foot doctor before. I don't believe I have either. There is a, uh, right near us, there's a Good Feet store right uh, where Deerbergs is. But I don't know if they deal with broken Big, broken big toe, which is a pain, right? It, it is a, your big toe? Yeah, my, le- my big left toe. Situation. Is it your left big toe? Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Podiatrist, physician, or foot and ankle surgeon. So there you go. Surgeon. So at least they know something about what's <laughs> going on. Hopefully we don't have to have that. Here's what we have coming up in the show today. Uh, our friend Taylor Twelman of ESPN, St. Louis, and former MLS forward. And I would argue that... If there is a media face to soccer in America, it's Taylor Twelman. Do you agree with that? Without a doubt. I don't even think it's a question. Do you? No, I don't think so. Plus, we're going to have our weekly visit with Joey Vitale coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. And at 9, Blues Poho Doug Armstrong will join us, president of hockey operations and general manager. Army will be with us at 9.30 here on 101 ESPN. And a lot of hockey today. Uh, here we are. In a community where the Blues have won the Stanley Cup, we are the self-proclaimed heartland of hockey. Mm -hmm. Several years ago, we had five players taken in the first round of the NHL draft. Here we are in the middle of America, and we had five players taken in the NHL draft. And, Michelle, I, I get, and you worked at ESPN, so you were aware of, really, almost the inception of that embrace debate philosophy that they have Mm -hmm. at ESPN. But one of the problems with embrace debate is that sometimes topics will come up that A, the host or the uh, debater are uneducated about, or you have to take a 
You have to have a hot take that's stupid. So what, either the person is stupid or the smart person's take is stupid. And that's not a good thing for the host. No, you're right. Sometimes there's, uh, there's one very obvious side that's the only correct answer. And if you're embracing debate, you're going to have to take a side that's very unpopular and that can make you look very dumb. Or you could take a rational approach and just have a discussion about it. Right. It doesn't have to be your side or my side. But hey. Not a lot of people take that approach. On first take yesterday with Stephen A. Smith, this was the hockey take of his debater, Max Kellerman. Listen, I don't, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but in, in the United States of America, no one really cares about hockey. You know, the old joke is every town has 20,000 hockey fans. They all have season tickets. So the arenas are always sold out, but the TV ratings don't do anything. So it's not one of the four major team sports. I would argue that that might have been the case 20 years ago. But if you look at hockey around the country, not just here in St. Louis where you had the Stanley Cup champions, but in most hockey markets, much like baseball at night, if hockey's on TV, it's one of the top three shows on television. Whether it's in Philadelphia or Chicago or... Even Tampa Bay, certainly the ones in Canada, but he's talking about the United States of America. You have Pittsburgh, Buffalo, most NHL cities, when the hockey team is on at night, they're drawing a ton of viewers and generating, obviously, a ton of revenue. Absolutely. There are tons of hockey fans in America. It's not that hockey is not popular in America. I will say this, though. I don't understand why hockey is not more popular in America. I don't understand why hockey is not the number one, number two, number three most popular sport in America. Hockey has everything that Americans want. It has offense. It has speed. It has, quote, violence. I mean, it's a tough sport. And it has the best playoffs in professional sports in America, without a doubt. So I understand to take the viewpoint of hockey and say it should be more popular and it is more of a regional sport, but to say that there's that it's not a popular sport in America is categorically false. One of the problems that hockey has is that ESPN has that feeling about it. There are people at ESPN, obviously, John Buchagras, um, Barry Melrose, Linda Cohn. Linda Cohn tweeted to Max Kellerman and said, what do you mean nobody cares about hockey? Very disappointed and surprised you would make a statement like this, Max Kellerman. It's insulting to this great game, those associated with it, those that cover it, and to the passionate fan base here in the United States. Linda Cohn gets it. But I do believe that if the National Hockey League returns to ESPN and there are more educated people about the sport that its primacy in America will be enhanced. Sure. Uh, ESPN has deals with the NBA. They they own the college football playoff, Monday Night Football. So what are they going to talk about during the day? Their own properties because it's a business. Of, Of course they are. And to Max's point, okay, so if hockey isn't one of the top four sports in America. What is the fourth one then? College football? Because that's not a professional sport. So, I mean, you know what I mean? It's really what are you going to make the argument for here that that is superseding hockey? I don't really understand it. But yeah, exactly. If if every game, if there was a hockey game every night on an ESPN property, or if they were the home of the Stanley Cup playoffs, they would be Mm -hmm. talking about it all of the time. All the time. And if Max Kellerman would have made that exact same same comment in 
1990 rather than 2020, he would not have been wrong. But it is 2020, and that gr- sport has grown exponentially. They're putting 80, he talks about 20,000 season ticket holders. They're putting 80 and 90,000 people in stadiums on New Year's Day for games. How can he say that there's only 20,000 fans in each city? That just doesn't make sense. Pay attention. The numbers don't add up, Maps. <laughs> Not at all. Meanwhile, we are going to get hockey back sooner rather than later. The NHL approving phase two workouts, although the Blues are going to start uh, later than teams, Doug Armstrong giving his players, according to Jim Thomas at stltoday.com, his players, the Blues, more time to determine. And I think this is great. The Blues players have ownership of what they do. And Doug Armstrong and Craig Ruby and the coaching staff have so much trust in the players. And Army said, I've talked with the players and they'll tell us when they think we should open. If they feel comfortable training as they are currently... They should. They When they want us to open, we will. And he, he mentioned in the article at stltoday.com that only about 10 players have remained in St. Louis now. So he wants them to stay and train and work in the cities that they're in. And then when the group is ready, then they can come and work out as a group. What a great organization. What great communication. What great trust between um, the people in the front office, the coaching staff, and the players. But again, this is a championship caliber team. These guys are very aware of what they need to be doing, and we know how close-knit of a team this is. We know that they respect their coach, they respect their general manager, and that they've been having those conversations and checking up with one another. So really, Doug Armstrong has no reason to not believe that the players should stay in the environments that they're safest in and continue working out the way that they are, because they've given him no reason not to trust him. And Michelle, yeah. I love that this veteran team is so cognizant of the little things. And we talk to coaches. I love to always talk to coaches about how when you have a training camp, you have to go back to ground zero in terms of fundamentals. And a lot of players hate that. But Alex Petrangelo was on with Rivs and BK yesterday and talked about how that's something that he actually wants to do. Yeah, I think it's because we played so much hockey last year. And now that I'm, you know, I can find the distraction at home with the kids that keep me busy. But um, it's been a good opportunity, and, and like I said, last summer, uh, between the the finals and then you celebrate and all that, I mean, the, the offseason wasn't as long as I usually get to really work on things, so, you know, I, I really like to focus on things in the offseason to kind of, uh, I want to make sure that I stay healthy and not get injured, and, you know, obviously help me become a better player, but uh, I've really had an opportunity now to really sit back and focus on those things and not feel like I'm you know, in a rush to uh, to train to try and get to where I want. So, uh, I mean, maybe it's been nice to kind of take that break and be able to focus on things here because it'll help me if we do go back and then go into next year. And this is a guy that obviously is in great condition but wants mm-hmm. to be in elite condition. And then just mental things, little things that he wanted to work on that he has been able to during well, wind up being a four-month break for these guys. Four months. That is wild. But... Yeah, I mean, I, I think about the fact that they're all rested, that they had such a short offseason anyway. I think about the physical style of play that the Blues have. I think about how exhausted they probably were mm-hmm. already towards the end of the regular season, and then they were gearing up for a very punishing Stanley Cup playoff run. I, I think to rest your body and to take that time to really train the way that you need to, but also get your... get your body a chance to regenerate itself is a very positive thing for these Blues players to do. And with that as a backdrop, why would the Blues be good again upon a return? Uh, one, chemistry. I mean, we've all played together for a long, most of us, for a long time, and we have an identity. 
we certainly found that identity last year carried into this year. And we have depth. Um, I think as the season progresses, we were able to use that depth. But this will be interesting because, uh, you know, we plan all year knowing that, okay, we have a chance to, uh, you know, make the playoffs and have success in the playoffs. And, and you sit down and you plan all year with the coaches uh, on how you're going to go about your business. And, you know, good teams are able to uh, keep that, you know, game at a high level, which is what we've done. Um, but then again, now everybody's healthy and every team is going to be healthy. So it's certainly going to be a little bit interesting. There might be more surprises than people think here going into, into the thing. It's interesting, Michelle, in any sport, how especially a good team, but really every team, even bad teams, they have an identity. You know why they're good and how they're going to be good in a particular game or why they're bad. Jeff Fisher's Rams, we knew that their identity was that they were going to be boring and they were going to run the ball and they didn't have any receivers, right? Ground and pound. Yeah. Not going to go bloop in seven and nine. (laughs) Right. That's your identity. Yeah, that, that's it. And then you go seven yep. and nine. Look at Whitey Ball, though. We knew what, what the yeah. identity of that team was when Whitey Herzog was in charge. And we know what the Blues do. They're physical. They have a great forecheck. They have great goaltending. They're built around their defense. And the players understand what that identity is. And it is for them. They figured it out. Easy to get to. And I completely get what Petro is saying about how they'll be able to get to their game more quickly than a team maybe that's built on speed and try, like Tampa that, that's trying to play with chemistry and moving the puck and cycling. For sure. And even though the Blues have a, a very specific identity and a specific way that they play their style of Blues hockey, I think when I look back on this past season, you know, even towards right before the lockout, there was a lot of times where I felt like we still haven't even seen the best Blues hockey yet. They were finding all sorts of different ways to win. And any sort of issue that would present itself, they would overcome it. So I think while they do have that very great foundation of Blues hockey ingrained in them, it's also such a positive sign that they were able to win other ways this past season. So again, we talked about this with Jeremy Rutherford yesterday, and and he was right. I think we need to all kind of take a step back and realize this is a unique situation, and that the Blues are going to have challenges that they don't even know presented to them. But I just, I look at everything this team has endured, and everything they've overcome, and I am very confident in their chances heading into this thing. With those challenges, we want to know what your confidence level is in the Blues. You can send us a mic drop with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the free 101 ESPN app. You can download that for free and just use that mic drop feature right on the front page of the app. Or you can text us, the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Our confidence and yours in the return of the Blues next with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. on January 3rd. The players on the bench are bouncing up. History will be made tonight in Boston. 15 seconds to go as Shen blocks a puck to the corner. 10 seconds remaining. Get up, St. Louis. Get on your feet. Raise them high. Five seconds to go. And the time winds down. They did it. It's over. The game is over. The series is over. The wait is over. And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history. What a great call from Chris Kerber. It was June 12th of last year, and you'll hear that game tonight with Play Glory here on 101 ESPN. The St. Louis Blues run to the cup brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. And I I still get goosebumps every time I hear that. I still 
it's surreal to me, Michelle. How does it not put a smile on your face to hear that call from Curbs? The call, I mean, Randy, you waited to hear those words for your entire lifetime. Literally my entire life. So to hear it played over and over again, I'm sure it doesn't take away any of the shine. No, and it won't tonight when we hear it here on your Home of the Blues 101 ESPN. And you heard from Alex Petrangelo yesterday on BK and Rivs about the playoffs starting up. No regular season this year, no remaining regular season. And when we get back to playing in either late July or early August, everybody is going to be starting from ground zero. And for that reason, Petro says some things might happen. Every team is going to be healthy, so it's certainly going to be a little bit interesting. There might be more surprises than people think here going into into this thing. So from the Blues' perspective, yes, I agree that the other teams will have a surprise. My confidence level is high because of what we talked about in the last segment, Michelle. The fact that the Blues, they know what they do well. They're good at winning. They are good at winning. And Petro is right. There are going to be some surprises because every team is coming in essentially at ground zero. They're, they're coming in healthy, rested. They've, they've had a lot of time to come up with a game plan and think about which teams they know they're going to be competing against. But again, I would take a healthy and rested St. Louis Blues team, given their identity and given what we've seen out of them 10 times out of 10. So while I think some other teams will certainly present challenges, I like the Blues' chances to go up against any opponent. Text 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line from the 660. Good morning, Randy and Michelle. I'm very confident that the Blues have the parts in place to repeat as Stanley Cup champions. The thing that is an added plus for this team is that they have a very healthy Vladimir Tarasenko returning for the stretch run. Here's a guy that has been out since October, played 10 games, and he was ready to come back at the end of the pre-pandemic era. Uh, with 10 games left, he was going to come back in one of their next two games. And you have to believe that the shoulder is even better now, although he probably hasn't had a chance to get out and lift many weights. But mm, I've seen him on Instagram. He's got weights at his house. He's, oh, good. He's been cranking it out. He and his wife do uh, these workout videos. They are definitely getting their exercise in. Well, that's good to hear. So if, if he is 100%, then that brings another element to the Blues, which is incredible that they had the best record in the West, and he brings an added element to them that they didn't have. Are you concerned at all about the, not Vladdy, chemistry from a team standpoint, but just from him getting back to normal from an ice standpoint, the chemistry of that? Because sometimes that, that does take a little bit for a player when they haven't played or skated in so long. Well, I guess all of these guys haven't right. really that, skated in so long. I think that's the big long. thing. It's going to be four, for, for teams that get back next week, it'll be three months, March to April, April to May, May to June. For the Blues getting back on the ice, maybe three and a half months. And and Vladdy was skating at least yes, before he, he before we were shut down. So I'm not really concerned about it. It's kind of like it, or no different than a player who misses an entire regular season who and comes back and starts training camp with everybody else. True. And the conversations we were having about Vladdy's return before uh, hockey got shut down was about wondering if that shoulder would be able to sustain some of the the physical plays, especially in the postseason, and if maybe he would be favoring one side over the other, and maybe if he would be a little hesitant to go 100% because he would be afraid to re-injure it. Now, he didn't give any indications that that, that would be the case. It's just things that we were discussing. And now, I think with him having that extra time to rehab, that extra time to heal up, we probably won't see anything like that when no. he returns. Here's my biggest concern, and I don't have a lot of concerns about this team, but in watching last year's and listening to last year's 
play again and talking to the people involved, especially during the pandemic. The broadcasters are experts, but especially in watching the games and focusing. We tend to forget how unbelievably good Jay Bomeister was during that entire run. Yeah. He and Pareko were a shutdown pair. Now, Marco Scandell is a great addition, but he's never been, well, we can put it in this, this perspective, and it's very easy and it's not unfair to Scandella. Marco Scandella has never been the guy that played for Canada at the end of a gold medal game like Jay Bomeister did. Jay, when Canada needed to protect a one or two goal lead, in world championships or Olympics, their coach for four or five or six consecutive of those would have Bo Meester on the ice to protect that lead. And that's the same way it was for the Blues last year in the playoffs. They don't have that guy anymore, so they're going to need their defensemen that are on hand to play to a really high, consistent level. Not that they can't, but Bo did it. He really did. And while Scandella is not J-Bo, he did really fit in with this team. And it Mm -hmm. felt like he never, it it felt like he was there for years, not a a few weeks, a few months. But I think that that's another thing that we have to consider is while he seamlessly jumped into the team and really fit in and meshed with their identity, that's something that, you know, had the season continued, it would have kept building. It would have kept building. Now, even though he knows the guys, he knows the style of play, and he has the confidence that he can mesh right in, he basically has to start right over from stage exactly. one. A couple of other texts from the 636. My confidence level is because they have proven their game works. They have very few off nights. And I think the coolest thing about this team is that without Vladdy, they don't really have a player that you say, okay, that guy has a chance to win an MVP in the future. You look at Pittsburgh with Malkin and Crosby. Or you look at the old school Blackhawks with Kane and Taves. Guys that you'd say, okay, you can see them winning a uh, uh, a tro- uh, the uh, what's the, the MVP? Our Ross's, I, I forget what the tro- trophy is, but it's the MVP trophy. Let's just call it that. We'll get text six five seven eight zero. But my point is, is that even if Ryan O'Reilly has his best year, he's probably any. He's arguably your best forward outside of Laddie. He's probably not going to win a, an MVP trophy over the eighty two games. There have only been two defensemen that have won the MVP, Chris Pronger and, and Bobby Orr. So you probably don't have a defenseman that's going to win the league's MVP over 82 games. So they don't have that guy, but they're so good. They have so much talent that's just a notch below MVP level that they can win and not have an off night every single night because they have so many players that contribute to winning. We saw that on display as we've been reliving all of these Stanley Cup playoff games, these great games for the Blues run to the Cup, play Gloria here on 101 ESPN. It's a different hero every night. It's a different guy that has stepped up and delivered for the team every night. So it's while it's not one steady MVP guy, you're right. It's it's a different ascent from a different person every night. Everybody contributes to the team's success. By the way, it is the Hart Trophy. The Art Ross Trophy is for the scoring champion, the Hart Trophy for the MVP. So I'd rather win the Connie Smythe than the Hart anyway. I, I only care about one trophy, Randy, and that's Lord, Lord Stanley. That's a good one to win, too. Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and we appreciate you being a part of the show. You can always send us a text via the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 or... Use the Rhino Shield mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. Next up, it looks like soccer, MLS, is back before we know it. We're going to talk talk about that and more with Taylor Twelman of ESPN next on 101 ESPN.
Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Uh, big day yesterday for MLS, and joining us is, as Michelle and I discussed, the, the media face of soccer in America, Taylor Twelman, the St. Louisan of ESPN. Taylor, great to have you with us. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you guys doing? Love the new show. Thanks, Taylor. It's great to talk to you. And before we get into uh, specific things about the MLS and MLS for the Lou, I want to talk to you about banter and what you put out yesterday with ESPN FC about the important content that people need to watch. They can head to ESPN FC on Twitter or at Taylor Twelman and see it. But you spoke to black players in the MLS and had them share their experiences. And it's a very important thing for people to go watch. And I thought the videos that you did were heartbreaking, but they were very, very uh, important things for people to watch. So can you just share how that went about and where people can find it, things of that nature? Yeah, no problem. Uh, Michelle, Randy, uh, and I, we, we're three pr- privileged white people. And I think the one message that's been consistent throughout this um, difficult time over the last, I'd say, nine, ten days is people are asking us to listen. And so when you self-reflect, I don't know about you two, but when I self-reflect and just think about my life and my upbringing and how grateful I am, um, and no matter how open my household was, it still was in white suburbia. It was in Chesterfield, Missouri. And so no matter how many teammates I had that were African-American or Mexican-American or Latino-American, it didn't matter. Uh, I, I just feel like I need to do something and be proactive. And instead of talking about it, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. So we launched a new show um, here at ESPN. Now, granted, it was right before the pandemic. And we just believe that there's a real appetite for a show that just looks at soccer from the American perspective. And we were doing great numbers, Michelle. You and I have talked about it. But obviously, the pandemic happens and you have to evolve. So you're doing it via Zoom. And so I reached out to numerous amount of athletes, um, all of them black. Uh, we had conversations. They told stories. Derek Ntn of Columbus was pulled over twice on Monday by a white cop for taking an illegal turn going 60 miles an hour on the highway. You two can figure it out. Us three are smart enough to figure out that that's actually impossible. Um, and then a second cop pulled them over three minutes after that and pulled out an, uh, uh, an automatic rifle, automatic weapon on him, excuse me, um, after the white person in front of him in the car was let go free. So it, these are stories that need to be heard. Now, soccer is a very diverse sport. However, the fans in soccer around the world, the most racist, the most racist sport in the world. Hands down, bar none, no argument whatsoever. Uh, you look at European play, 1999, I'm playing in Germany, and we've got a white uh, winger uh, from Angola, and every single time he touched the ball, monkey chants from 35,000 people. And then you've got South Americans that look at it very differently, wrongly. So soccer, while we wait for FIFA uh, to take their heads out of, their sa- out of the sand, um, over the last 50, 60, 70 years, they haven't done that. We've got to individually just make incremental changes. And Michelle and Randy, here's my thought. If all of us make incremental changes of listening and trying to do the best on a personal level, then the world's going to be a better place. And I just felt like I should start it on my show yesterday. 
That's great. And the thing is, we have to listen to the right things, too, because uh, there are... Uh, there are some people that are some African Americans that have different ideas of what, and they're they're all afraid. That's the bottom line. Is if you're, uh, I, I put it this way, Taylor. If if I was the parent of an African American son, I would be terrified every day of him going out and driving his car and being out in the world. And I, I think what we have to do is not only listen, but we have to act. Right? That we when we're told of these issues that African Americans are dealing with, we have to find a way to act and get people around us to make it a better world. Randy, 100%. Here's the, here's the one thing that's been the most frustrating for me. And they're not... It, you can believe that George Floyd was murdered, but you can also believe that the looting and burning down buildings is wrong as well. They're not mutually exclusive. Bingo. And that is the most difficult thing to have conversations with, no matter what color you are. But I want, it, Randy, I do understand, though, the looting and all of that, it is the symptom. It's not the disease. But I, it, the fact that we can't have conversations about anything in the world right now, Randy, that's the number one issue. Nobody can have a normal conversation disagree and yet find a middle ground there's no middle ground anymore since when did that happen america was founded on that no doubt that's the most frustrating part for me absolutely taylor but we appreciate you having those conversations and using your platform to spark those conversations so thank you for that but we want to talk to you about the mls so they reached uh, an agreement on the cba the mls is going to return uh, for the 2020 season but it wasn't smooth sailing to get there so tell us what you think about the deal and what you thought about the process leading up to the deal Michelle, it's a difficult time, right? And I tweeted this, and obviously people on both sides of the owners and the players were upset with me. But truth be told, when there's over 35 million people unemployed, if owners and players are going to argue about future pay and future play, you're going to lose the paying customer. It just That's fact, not opinion. Nobody has time for that. And while emotions were high, I do have to give Don Garber and the owners and the players led by Bob Foos a ton of credit. Cooler heads prevailed. They recognized where they, where they were in the situation. They recognized that the World Cup in 26 is on the horizon, that St. Louis is building this gorgeous stadium downtown, Austin, Charlotte, and Sacramento all coming into this league and to grow sport. You can't afford a lockout. You can't. And you can't afford a strike. Um, and so I give the, both sides a ton of credit for recognizing the deal. And so here's where we are this morning. Now, obviously, <laughs> I know it seems weird. There is a global pandemic still going on for what it's worth. And so the situations are fluid. But as of right now, the end of June, all 2016, all 2016s will show up in Orlando. They will train. And then early July, July 3rd, 4th, or 5th, whatever that date may be, schedule is still being hashed out. There will be a tournament. Now, every team will play a minimum of three games. Um, those three games will count towards the regular season. And it hasn't been confirmed yet, but the winner of this will get a CONCACAF Champions League berth, which is a real money monetary value to a club, to a franchise. 
in Major League Soccer, so there is something on there. And then we are under the impression at ESPN that there will be anywhere from 15 to 18 games in their respective home markets after the tournament, depending on, obviously, the global pandemic and what's going to go forward. But the one thing that needs to be said that hasn't been said enough is that Major League Soccer opened the doors for the NBA to return. That's that's another fact, not an opinion. So MLS, Disney, Ian on the forefront of trying to get this deal done. The NBA heard about the deal and moved from Vegas to Orlando because of how the infrastructure is set up for everyone to go to fit there. Now, the NBA has moved their timeline a little different, Michelle and Randy. So initially it was July 21st, 25th. Now it looks like it's going to be, you know, July 31st, early August when they report to uh, Orlando, which is good for both leagues. I'm not so sure you want both leagues there at the same time. So it's great to have MLS back this year, but specific to St. Louis, what you talked about initially, the fact that they have an agreement through 2025 is good news for us because there doesn't have to be any tension as we approach 2022. Absolutely, Randy. And you also want to time it out, right? And you want to help the league prosper. You know, Don Garber came out and said the league is going to lose roughly a billion dollars from revenue in this. And I think people don't understand where that number comes from. But 80% of revenue for Major League Soccer comes from game days. That's pretty much the way the rest of the world is other than the English Premier League, which is over $2 billion in TV revenue. They're the only league that is eerily similar to the NFL. So you obviously, with Austin, Charlotte, St. Louis, Sacramento coming in, and a couple other teams in Major League Soccer that want to keep this thing going and can't afford to have a lockout, yes, absolutely. Now, it's interesting, Randy, that the day, the now ending of the CBA is the year right when World Cup 26 shows up. And that is going to be a massive, massive, massive moment for this sport in the country on media rights. Because television companies, we saw what the 94 World Cup did for this sport. Can you guys imagine with 26, 27 soccer-specific stadiums in this country and that World Cup comes? That's where that date becomes very interesting. And you can mark it down today. And we're going to remember this conversation, but when that CBA ends, you are going to be at a real crossroads between the players and the owners because nobody is going to have any idea what that World Cup is going to do to the sport. And Taylor, we, we love your enthusiasm. We want to have you on on a regular basis, but everybody should enjoy your infectious enthusiasm. And they can watch Banter with Taylor Twelman on ESPN Plus, right? Yeah, ESPN FC. I, I, it was on Plus, Randy. Okay. It is now a free show, so it's Beautiful. on. It's a digital show. It's YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and everything else. And uh, obviously, I'll let you know when. You know me. Michelle knows me very well. I always have an opinion. I'm just <laughs> often wrong, seldom in doubt. <laughs> we'll get you on again soon. Thank you, my man. All right, see you guys. Take care, Taylor Twelman, and he is great, and his enthusiasm is infectious. If if anybody has any questions about a love of soccer, he can get you to love soccer very easily. And he's honest about it, too. He understands that there are negatives, too. Sure. He'll be the first one to tell you yep. about the negatives. But if you don't love soccer and you watch Taylor Twelman talk about soccer, you're, it makes you want to want to love right. soccer. No doubt. Michelle Randy, 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Coming your way next. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Tioli. Take it 
or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Happy Friday. Great to have you with us here on 101 ESPN. It is Carriker and Smallman. The Fastlane and uh, the Fastlane, uh, they're, they're, they're good guys. You know, they're, they're my former teammates. So You said that with a suspect tone. Well, because right? sometimes they're, they're guys, uh, huh? you know, they're, we're, we're team morning and we're, we yeah. try to be Switzerland, right? We, we're friends with the, the Riz show down the hall. And I think sometimes it's with both shows and us against them mentality. The fast lane says, oh, if you're with them, then you can't be with us. And the same with the Riz show. Here's the point. We can like both shows and not be involved in their petty disputes. But Randy, you just said we're team morning. You we, just identified that we have chosen a side. But, well, we could also be team fast lane. Can't be both. I think we can. Randy, you're the guy that's showing up to Bush Stadium wearing a Yankees jersey and a Cardinals hat. You can't do it. You can do that because you've got... Mm-hmm. You can't see, do here's it. why. Because the it. Yankees are your American League team. The Cardinals are your National League team. The Riz Show is your morning show. The Fast Lane is your afternoon show. <laughs> I appreciate your passionate rebuttal, but I disagree. Anyway... I think you need to pick, a la- pick some laundry and stick well, with it. At the moment, as we sit here at 7.50 on June 5th, I have to be a Fast Lane guy because they <laughs> delivered to me Big League Chew with my picture on it. This is one of the coolest things I've ever seen and probably the ultimate flex because everybody growing up that played sports enjoyed some Big League Chew. Actually, I have not had this in a long time, but now that it's here, I'm definitely going to eat it, work it into my routine. But I just need to describe this to people. Imagine the big, big league chew packet, and it has Randy's photo on it and his name. And then it says, the fast lane, ESPN 101, the pride of St. Louis sports. It is fully immersed with your branding here, Randy. This is awesome. We were so lucky we had the founder of Big League Chew on the show down the stretch of my time in the fast lane. And they were really thankful and enjoyed the interview. So they sent... Big League Chew boxes with all four. Ranji, BT, uh, Brad Barnes, and I yesterday. So thanks to them, and uh, enjoy Big League Chew this weekend. Okay, with questions for Tioli, here's Colin. Randy, you mentioned the Riz Show and those guys over at the point briefly. Donnie Fandago tweeted out yesterday, well, weird question. Looked it up and didn't, didn't really find an answer. Dead snake in my yard, what do I do with it? The first post I saw, burial and... I saw said burial or cremation, and I don't feel like those are the best routes here. I feel dumb. What do I do with it? Donnie should have buried the snake. Take it or leave it. I'll take that. I'm going to leave it because I'm picking any option that doesn't involve touching the snake. Well, you pick it up with a rake or something. There's few things in life that I'm more afraid of than snakes. I hate snakes. I do too. Hate. So the answer to me, what do I do with it, is freak out, call an exterminator but it's dead. or someone else. I don't care. I would not get anywhere near it. Even even dead. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not on board with cremating. I don't know where you go to cremate it. So the only other option would be to flush it down the toilet. And you don't want to do that. So I would say that uh, burial for me would be the logical approach here. What if it was just playing dead? What if it was napping then, and then you went over there to touch yeah. it and bury it, and then it springs into action? That's why you have a rake in your hands. And then what? You you well, you use the rake? Yep. Yeah. Well, you, you have to smack it. Yeah, you that's have what to you kill do. It. Smack it. Yeah, you chop off the head of the snake. <laughs> yeah, that's how you kill it. 
And I'm with you. I, I can be riding my bike along the Katy Trail, and there'll be like <laughs> just a, a three foot black snake, and I'll lift my feet up off my pedals. <laughs> Because I'm so afraid of it. I would never go back to that trail again. Really? Oh my gosh, I no yes. I am traumatized by snakes. One time when I was a kid, I was playing hide and go seek in the woods and I felt something on my leg and I looked down and a snake had started to wrap itself around my ankle and I spazzed out and true story, never went in the woods behind my house ever again. I don't blame you. Seriously. I became kind of a sedentary kid. For My parents had just build, <laughs> built this, um, you know, playhouse or whatever in the back. Never used it. Dust all over the slide. I was so afraid I wouldn't go in the backyard. Only a front yard. Front yard kid. So you're a smart kid. There were some powerful mudslides earlier this week in Norway that led to full houses being dragged directly into the ocean. Weather is too unpredictable. Living on the coastline is overrated. Take it or leave it. I would say at this stage in our world's existence that that is a take it. I would not want to live on a coastline. If Southern California, Malibu, mm -hmm. those houses, Stan Kroenke's, are going to fall into the ocean <laughs> at some point soon. And I would not want to be in that situation. I'm, I would worry, you know, we've always dreamed about going to Sausalito and having a condo there. In California, in Northern California, but I would worry about those houses falling down the hill. I'm going to take it for several reasons. First of all, it's so expensive to live on the coast. Mm -hmm. You can get more bang for your buck here in the heartland of America. Secondly, it's so crowded. So really crowded. crowded. So, again, more room to roam here in the Midwest. Also, one of the things I love about the Midwest is that this is a community. People live here. They have their families here, etc. A lot of these coast tr transplants, transient, they're, they're people in and out. They they want to retire there, and they want you to leave them alone. They're like, I have spent my whole life working. I just want to post up on the coach and coast and enjoy the beach. Don't talk to me. Don't like that aspect of it. And then also, I feel like if you are landlocked here in the Midwest, you appreciate the coast so much more. When you do get to go to a beach or go to a body of water, it's, it's a celebration because you get to go there. I was talking to friend of the show Bob Costas the other day who was in the, he and his wife have a residence in Southern California in addition to St. Louis and New York and they were in SoCal when the pandemic hit and as of Tuesday Bob and his wife had not seen other people for 11 weeks 11 weeks? Right. They were in that house and they uh, the food was delivered to the front door but they had gone 11 weeks and, and the, near a coast Without seeing people. Isn't That's that impressive. amazing? They, they'd That's only seen each other. I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. I'm impressed, too. Honey mustard is the best dipping sauce for chicken strips. Take oh, it or leave totally it. Totally leave it. No, it's ranch. <laughs> I'd go... Uh, <sighs> I, I, I think I would go honey mustard ahead of marinara. Ew, you would even consider marinara? Oh, yeah. On chicken strips? Yep, I would. You, you got to give it a try. It's. I'm not even putting that in the conversation, but I, Randy. I, but I'm uh, going ranch, honey mustard, barbecue. Barbecue's oh. a good call too, but I, I, not that I would go marinara. I would just put. I, I would put honey mustard ahead of marinara. I wouldn't even have another option for chicken strips than ranch or honey mustard. Or not barbecue. Not for chicken strips, no. Marinara. Yeah. Mm. Uh, people do it. It happens. What is it? A baby chicken parm? I mean, it just seems like... Yeah, basically. <laughs> so, if, I, if I'm at Bush Stadium and I get a chicken strip basket, and you know how they have the condiment set up yes. there, and they have the things with the big pumps, I'm going 
I get a little cup of ranch pump, a little cup of barbecue punch, and a little honey mustard. Those are my options that I'm going with, those three condiments. Okay. And I always end up eating more of the honey mustard than of the other three. So I'm going to okay. take it. I'm going to go ahead and take it. See, and I wouldn't eat, even give myself the opportunity for that variety. I'm just, I'm pumping only ranch. <laughs> you don't even need the cup, the no. little cup. You're right. just right over the top. Exactly. Okay, take it or leave it. Ketchup on chicken strips is low-key gross. I wouldn't even go low-key. I would just say major <laughs> gross. gross. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see people at the stadium, and they have ketchup all over their chicken strips. It looks like a massacre. Whoa. And I think if you wanted ketchup, <laughs> why don't you just get a hamburger? So a lot of people hot hate the idea of ketchup on hot dogs, which I do. You do? Yes. Oh, wow. But Uh-oh. only hot dogs Uh-oh. and hamburgers. Hot dogs on steaks, hot dog, or ketchup on steaks, ketchup on eggs. There's only two things that I will put ketchup on, and that is a hot dog or a hamburger. And it, it, it's Same. not a... Not well, a french fries. Yeah. Yeah, right. But that's just a dipping thing. But I'm just putting... Talking oh, about on top. Food. On yeah. top. Got it. But, and I don't do that all the time. Every hot dog I have does not have ketchup on it. Every hamburger I have does not have ketchup on it. But those are the only two possibilities for ketchup in my life, aside from dipping it into... Dipping fries into ketchup. Yeah. No, no eggs, no steak, yeah, no, uh, nothing else. No. I do like some hot sauce on my eggs, though. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, I, Maybe if 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 I were to pick out my favorite breakfast item, there are a lot of great breakfast items, but I would think that the breakfast burrito oh. would be right there. It's it, that's going to be top two on my list. Definitely, I'm trying to think that if anything even beats a breakfast burrito for me. One of the reasons I like to go for long bike rides in the morning is because I read one time that if you're going to go on a long bike ride, you should have a breakfast burrito for breakfast. So <laughs> I just I plan by big bike rides so that I can have a big breakfast burrito. Yeah, or you could just be like me and eat the breakfast burrito and then watch Bravo afterwards. <laughs> Thank you, Colin. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Uh, let's see. Someone brings up a great point from the 314, Randy. What about buffalo sauce on chicken strips? Great point. Yeah. But I, I, chicken strips are breaded. I don't want buffalo sauce on a breaded item. Yeah. And while I do love buffalo sauce, it doesn't seem like something I would really dip into. Usually it's something that it's coated in. Yeah, exactly. So if you get some spectacular wings from our friends at Cyberg's, yes. buffalo sauce, but not on breaded Cyberg items. sauce. Yeah, Cyberg Sauce is great. The best. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, our fresh take of the day. And we have a refreshing coach in Missouri. We'll talk about him and the dichotomy between he and another first-year coach next on 101 ESPN. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.